Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to Taiwan On Air, 空中直播台湾. Hello everyone, this is Adina Zemanek, one of the hosts of this podcast series. Today, I have the great pleasure of hosting Xinjiang Huang, a new media creator with a background in art, design, engineering, and digital entertainment, who explores cutting-edge technologies in art, literature, design, and stage performing. His work has been displayed on many renowned international venues and has won many awards, such as the best VR experience at the Venice International Film Festival. He has founded Storyness Studio, which engages in artistic creation and commercial design, and currently is also a distinguished professor at the National Taiwan Normal University. Professor Huang, welcome, and thank you for being with us today. Yes, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Can we start today our conversation from talking about your experience with making VR films and about your works? Why did you start making VR films? How did you come to think about it? Was it a natural journey? So, for example, you had had artistic work in a similar medium that naturally led to VR, or was this a more roundabout path? While I studied in my university, I studied in mechanical engineer. And at that time, I studied like, or I taking a lot of programming class because I am very fond of computers and found a lot of potential that you can make in art. But after I graduated, I actually went to the U.S. to study industrial design. And uh, after I graduated from industrial design, I also didn't become a designer. Instead, I first go to Sega and then Sony to be a video game art director. So I spent many years on creating video games. And then I think in 1999, something happened, which is Columbine school shooting. It's a, like a two high school students, they play a lot of video games and then they bring the firearms, which is identical to the weapon. They play in their video games and then start shooting and killing like 40 students and the teachers. After that incident, I started to think really seriously about my career as a video game designer and the creator. So after some deep contemplation, I go back to Taiwan and quit my job. And I use the knowledge I learned from the uh, video game industry and I apply it to the art making. On 2016, the first Oculus HMD come out and then I feel that this is a really interesting platform. So I start to use it to create content. 
Because to create contents on the VR is very similar to developing a video game because it's interactive, uh, it's a real-time 3D. So I start to uh, creating content ever since, mainly on the VR platform. So that's uh, how my path from the engineer and then video game director and then become the VR director. I see. Now let's talk about Samsara, which I had the pleasure of screening within a recent Asia-Pacific Film Festival at my university, the University of Central Lancashire. So let's start our discussion from here. My first question about this film would be that unlike your previous works, such as Bodyless or Oshiosu's Three States of Gazing, Samsara does not appear Taiwanese or Asian. And this surprised my audiences at the festival. So how do you position Samsara? Is it Taiwanese in any way at all or not? Yeah, it has some Taiwanese elements, but also it has global elements. And the Taiwanese element is the uh, female mother figure, which are using Aboriginal tribal females that's from Taiwan tribe in Taiwan. So in the uh, Sansara, you will see her like wearing her traditional tribal clothes and uh, her hand it has a traditional tattoo on her hand. And all those like a graphical animal, it's developing from the Taiwan traditional animal drawings. I see these animals that we can see circling in the air at a certain point. Okay. Yes. It's also the original animals from Taiwan. So I think the Sensara, I try to create this uh, like mother figure. Actually, she's uh, very down to earth, very primitive and uh, represent part from the nature. Another character on the Sensara, which is the father, he's the artificial intelligence that try to save the character from destroying itself and then bring him to another planet. So it will always have this mother and the father's confliction. And also one of the viewers of the film, who is an academic specializing in international relations, he was curious about its political message. So did you have a political message that you hope to convey? I would say it's less political, but more like a life enlightenment uh, lesson that's important to me because I have experience in my childhood and the Sensara is mainly developing from my childhood memory because when I was in the age of four, I have a, a cornea injury on my right eye and then I cannot see with my right eye ever since. But when uh, I was 14 years old, I got the uh, cornea transplant. And then the donor is from Sri Lanka, but I never be able to see him. And after that, I, I found that I see or I think of this world and the meaning of my life completely different. Because every time I see the world, actually half of the world, I'm seeing from the deceased person's cornea. When I have, I got a driver license, I register uh, myself as a donor because I think after I die, maybe I can donate my cornea to another person. So this cornea may travel from different bodies and then seeing this world from many different people's body. So I think this create a base concept for Sensara that if we don't think about ourselves as the uh, main protagonist, we are just a vehicle. So our spirit actually could travel from body to body. So the important thing is that it's not like my life is successful or my life is failed. Instead, it's that what kind of experience and the knowledge 
or lessons I can learn from this life. So I think this is kind of the uh, concept or the lesson I would like to convey in Sansara. Yes, and I think this is very interesting what you've said so far. So on the one hand, Samsara is very technological and it has this element of science fiction in it. Uh, on the other hand, you were talking a moment ago about very personal or individual human aspects. So kinship, father and mother, your personal experience reflected in this field. So this combination between very human elements and very non-human, technological, this is what I, what I find interesting as, uh, as well. So I, I do find it interesting where, as we are talking right now. Was there any other questions that you hope that this film can inspire in audiences? Another well, inspiration I draw from uh, a story written or short story from written by Andy Weir. It's called The Egg. And in this story, he's like a describe like if you imagine that we do have uh, reincarnations. And the more interesting is that like every life in this universe is our reincarnation. Because, for example, if I die and then I might reborn, the being that being reborn may be let's like five minutes ago, another person in this world. Every person or every being, uh, every creature I see in this world actually is my incarnations. So in this story, I think it's very interesting. If you think this is uh, what really happens, then, for example, if I helping some people, or that person could be me. Or if I actually punish or do something bad to another person, it's also I'm doing something bad to my another life self. With that concept in mind, you will see this world totally different. And I think the virtual reality have this capability to let you to be able to live in this concept and experience the world for maybe 10 or 20 minutes. And then after that, you can start to think about if this is really true, then what kind of uh, philosophy or what kind of uh, idea I will have to live my life after a while. Let us talk also about the body and the hands, because the film is Samsara is showing incessant transformations of the body with hands being a constant element. So the viewer is placed in the body that is transforming and looking at their hands. So the film is not interactive in terms of holding. I mean, sometimes you do hold objects, but you don't do anything with them. Uh, but instead, it's mainly about seeing how your hands change. So why are hands and looking at hands so important? The reason I, I create this is that uh, this is also a very interesting experience I have. Because when I worked with Lori Anderson on my previous uh, VR project, one day one of her friends come into the studio. She's a masseuse. And uh, usually when our friend comes in, we will show her or him the VR piece we are developing. So I'm working on the short experience that's like uh, you're, when you wear the VR, you kind of see like you're in the Mars environment. So when I put the VR helmet on her and then start to play back the experience, because it's like a Mars environment, so I expect her to well, see like she should look up look around and then fascinating about this like a really novel experience. On the contrary, and to my surprise that she didn't look up, but she looked down and then uh, looked at her body. And you know that in VR, I don't build a body's model. I actually, you don't have a body. 
So uh, she don't have a body. So she looked down and then she said, oh, my body is disappeared. But I didn't feel uncomfortable. Actually, I feel relaxed. And this is really a surprise for me. And I think it's an enlightenment finding for me because I always think that VR is something about looking out and uh, exploring environment. But instead, she actually is looking into herself. And that's not a thing because our body is always following me. But if one day I can give you experience without a body, actually, it's very interesting. And also, it's very new. And the more important is that I think our body is, uh, well, it has all, all kind of desire. Sometimes it will hang hungry or sometimes it will getting tired. It's constantly sending message to our brain. And I think, for example, like in the uh, Zen or Buddhism, it will tell you how to filter your troubles mind and then make your mind more like clear. And I started to think about it. Is that because our body is constantly be with us, but things we never have experienced that we can live with our body. So we can't endure all them like a really noisy message. But nonetheless, I sort of think, what happens if I can create a VR experience that instead that you to looking out? I want people to look into their body and then the body could be a more interesting message and the content for the audience to look at. So I think this is the source or the inspiration for Sensara. And uh, I really want the visitor to look at their body and the hand. So we put a lot of effort to make the hand models really responsive. And uh, you can see all the details. So that's the reason for that. Now, if we could move on to your other words. Your words place an emphasis on vision. So the main character in Samsara is one that gazes around. Your more recent work, a film called The Eye and I, is about gazing and surveillance. So why do you think that is significant about vision or gazing or surveillance in our contemporary world? I think the uh, vision is our primal uh, sensory and uh, it's overriding other sense sensing organs. For example, in my VRs, a lot of time I'm using the fly mechanism. And sometimes if when like, people fly and then they hit the wall, they actually feel their heads is really being bumped into some, some solid wall. That's all because they see they are being colliding with something. But actually, they didn't really feel that they are colliding. But the vision gives them that sense. So I think the vision is a very dominant sense for human beings. And also in the INI, when we start to uh, look into the history of uh, civilians, the modern prison actually doesn't give the prisoner any punishment. The most severe punishment is that they deprive their privacy and they are being constantly watched. So watching people become a punishment, even more severe than any other punishment. So I think the vision has a lot we can explore on the VR, no matter it's being watched or watching things. So I think that's also a very rich source for me to explore. Yes, and now that you're talking, uh, I'm thinking of the fact that the contents of our conversation and your work are also very relevant in contemporary, like for right now, 
because there is so much talk about AI now. There has been an unprecedented development of artificial intelligence, and it's amazing what it can do. But as you were talking in Samsara about this combination between the human and the non-human, the technological, actually, your film is very much about the human. So the question is, is AI going to replace the human in any way? Or now that we're talking about vision, surveillance is also one thing that is done around us, is everywhere around us. The fact that due to technology, we can be recognized and surveilled based on our bodies, our fingerprints, the shape of our faces, the eyes. And so on. So your work is extremely relevant for for the world right now, I think. Thank you. Yes, I think so too. Yes. Now I would like to move on with a question about Taiwan and Taiwanese folklore. Because in your work called Bodiless, there are ghosts, which is an element from, from Taiwanese folklore. So what is this ghost form in Bodiless? I'm very interested in ghosts, so that's why I'm asking. What is this ghost form in Bodiless? How do you see it? And is it Taiwanese at all? On the other hand, does it have contemporary or universal relevance, just like the AI and the body uh, and surveillance? Yeah, the bodiless uh, also is from my family's private history. And that, I think in uh, 1960s, it's the uh, China's Cultural Revolution. And my grandfather is lived in China. And because of the Cultural Revolution, he's like, don't have anything to eat. So he write a a letter to send to my family in Taiwan. At that time, well, still now, Taiwan and the mainland, well, the, the war they declared they haven't stopped. We are still at war since the uh, World War II. So my mother decided to send money to my grandfather in China. But this uh, letter has been intercepted by Taiwan's National Security Agency. So they sent the agent to follow my mother for a year. So my mother constantly, she's uh, telling us this story. Then recently, my mother started to have a dementia and started forgetting those stories. So I want to recreate this, uh, the story she told me in this uh, virtual reality in hope that my mother could remember this story when she see the VR. The ghost in Bodiless is like a family member of my family. And uh, he's like a political criminal being imprisoned by the government. And then in the beginning of this uh, VR experience, the political criminal of my family, he died in the prison and then his ghost descended to the hell. And according to Taiwan's folk belief, like every seventh month in the lunar calendar, the ghosts have an opportunity to go back to the uh, living world and have a chance to visit their family. So the whole process or whole experience of the bodiless is that ghost start to coming from hell and then trace back to where he's wandered through this uh, living world. And then finally he found the family's uh, living house. So let's count that ghost is about. I think why intended is to make this ghost universal because I think every country have this kind of uh, political criminals. And I think everybody could relate to their experience. Also, I think in the old days, for example, in the auto aristocracy uh, country, we sometimes have these political criminals being imprisoned by the government or even killed by the government. At that time, I think the political criminal their body is being confined or controlled by the government. But nowadays, like you just mentioned, that we have AI and we have deepfake. 
So before that, uh, we can only control people's body. But now we can control the memory that people remember those people. And we can even control what people believe. So I think this is the relationship or the connection I want to make between, like, for example, Taiwan's martial law to the modern days AI deepfake and this kind of situations. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. Yes, and this is, uh, again, this relationship or this contrast between what is artificial and what is human, <laughs> what is technological and what is human. So memories as in bodiless, memories of trauma that stay with people, that go on to haunt either individuals or families because with the passing away of a person that this wound or, or trauma finishes, it also impacts families. So this comes back. And there seems to be quite a lot of discussion in Taiwan, artworks, cinematic works as well, or video games about this trauma, the martial law, the white terror as something that is ghostly, recurrence and haunts. I'm also interested in about VR film in general. I must admit that I'm not a specialist. I, I'm new to it. And I would like to understand more about it and, and tell more about this to our viewers who may not be familiar with this medium as well. So now that we have talked about vision and seeing, how is VR film expanding our field of vision? And I found it interesting as we were talking about screening your film at my university, in our conversation, there was this word viewing uh, the VR film being mentioned. I found it very interesting because it's not the same kind of viewing that you apply to a traditional film, I think. Sometimes ago, I, th I think it was in the 90s and perhaps in the early 2000s, when the internet communication technologies were still a novelty, there was a lot of talk about the visual turn. So human experience being more visual and visualized in the era of the screen. Do you think this is still valid today? Is vision still the dominant mode of experience the world or experience in media? And if it is, what kind of vision is that? Is it a new kind of vision? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And uh, also, I think it's uh, totally fit to the current VR, like the progression of the virtual reality and the immersive experience. Because I think you probably started hearing a term called the story living in the contrast to the storytelling. So in the traditional film, it's the storytelling media. Because I often uh, use the analogy a film is like the director grabs the back of your head and then he will say, okay, now it's the, the start. And then he will push you to see this thing. 
after five seconds, he will say, okay, now you have to see this. So you are in the total control of the director, like whatever he wants you to see, you have to accept it. But I think the virtual reality or so-called immersive experience is that it's not just you're using your eyes, you have to use your body. Because, for example, the simplest thing is that in the virtual reality, you need to choose which direction and which angle you want to see. Or you have the power to decide instead of the director deciding for you. It's more like a real life is that you are using your body. So you turn your head in Sansara, you can even use your hands and the body to decide like which part or how long you want to stay here or if you want to move on or you can just stay here for as long as you like. Today's immersive and interactive experience, they bring the body and the audience decision into this equation. So I think this is something that instead we just watch a film once and then we will always get the same experience. For example, like the game or the virtual reality or immersive experience, you can watch it again and again, but each time you will get a different experience. And I think this is a very interesting and it's a big change to our media. So I think I'm optimistic for this kind of new media and uh, I wish to make more content on that direction. I see. So VR film is still about vision, but it is a vision that you can control. So you sort of become the camera instead of being positioned or identified with the camera by the director. Sometimes you become the camera because you can look in various directions. And indeed, that was my own interesting discovery when I was watching Samsara. Namely, I found out that I don't have to look in front of myself. I can turn and look up and look down. So that was, uh, that was quite fascinating. Now that you talked about story living versus storytelling, what about VR and storytelling? Samsara takes about 20 minutes, your newer, uh, more recent film, The Eye and I, takes one hour. And so these are shorter than a traditional feature film. So what kind of impact does VR film, this form, have on storytelling? Is it liberating, transformative, or is it limiting? And is the story central to a film anymore? Well, I think... The immersive experience is taking a different approach is that itself just have a finite story. It puts you in the environment that the uh, story is embedded in the environment. So it lets you to explore and then find out what is the story. So you can take your time to explore the story or you can just stay there for a while. And then if you decide to leave, that's okay too. So I think it's more like the uh, atmosphere that puts you into and then start to convey the content into you. Usually I will uh, use an analogy like, for example, if you go to a jazz bar, you're enjoying to be in that environment and then you have all kind of information uh, shooting at you, but you can decide which information you want to receive. So I think the virtual reality storytelling is more like a, just like I say, it's a story living. It lets you to put into this uh, story rich environment and then you can decide like which part of the story you want to start to know. One more thing that was challenging to me when I was organizing the festival, your immersive works are usually exhibited at festivals. They are exhibited in booths that are specifically designed for this purpose. 
I found it quite difficult to arrange a screening. I initially wanted to screen your film at a venue that would be more of a traditional cinema. So to bring it out of the university. But I found it very difficult to arrange because I couldn't find any cinema that has this kind of equipment or facilities. So cinemas are still following traditional patterns of screening and viewing. So for screening VR films, you need especially designed places, you need specialized equipment that, that cinemas do not have usually. So VR film doesn't reach large audiences. But on the other hand, it is important to, I think, to engage a diverse range of people. And among the people who saw Samsara at my university were people who do not usually have contact with gaming and they are unlikely to discover VR film by themselves. So what is the future of VR film in terms of exhibiting? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. I don't have an answer yet, but I think it's like sometimes using this uh, example is that when the world invented ballet dancing, they don't have a term called the ballet. They have uh, some girls wearing particular dress and then dancing on the stage. And then, and then people like it. And then after people like it, they want it again. And so they play again, again. And finally, people say, okay, probably we should give this a name. So they call it ballet and then it will exist uh, ever since. I think the hardware is still in developing and also film has like 120 years of history. And at this period of time is that the director and the audience are actually developing a visual language. So the montage and the the, uh, close shot or the long shot, they are the vocabulary that's shared by the director and the uh, audience. So sometimes you see the director shooting this way, then you can understand what he wants to express. VR is very young. We don't have a shared language uh, between the audience and the director. And I think a lot of film directors, when they start to use VR, they feel very frustrated because sometimes they want to not want the visitor or the audience to look at this way but the visitor look at the other way. And they suddenly found they don't have the control on the audience anymore. I think this will need to uh, gradually developing. I think after the VR, we think this is an interesting media that's worth uh, more of our time. That this vocabulary will grow and also the hardware will be a lot better. It will be lighter. And I think this will take time. And for example, uh, the people says that the book, the format of book takes a hundred years to develop. Like uh, after a hundred or 70 years, people start to think to put a page number on the book. I think every format need to grow and then also to have a grow with the culture. So I think I would look forward to have more VR uh, content come out and then also have better VR hardware. For example, like next year, we will start to experience the Apple's uh, Vision Pro and the best things will be a lot better hardware. This will be a process. And if we think this is really interesting, then I think over time, you will get more depth to it. The last topic that I wanted to talk about is VR film in Taiwan. Your work won the best VR prize at the Venice International Film Festival in 2017. And that's not a very long time ago. 
but it was when VR, this technology was still very young. So this is a feat. Besides, your Samsara entered the VR competition at the Venice Biennial in 2021 alongside six other Taiwanese projects, which was a record number for a single country. And this shows that Taiwan is now a worldwide powerhouse in virtual reality. So what could you say about Taiwan as an environment for making VR films? Is it easy to make VR films in Taiwan and why? Our government, for example, we have like a semi-official agency called the Taika and also Kaohsiung Film Archive. They are supporting a lot of grants for the VR film developing and also our public television also supporting the VR. And I think also like many, or not many, but like the main VR hardware provider, HTC is also a Taiwan-based company. So we have the funding and we have the uh, hardware company. And also we have a lot of uh, content creators because Taiwan is a very small island and people live very close together. One essential thing is that VR, I think is a... a multi-discipline creation. So you will need like a different professional people to work together. And the Taiwan has the environment for that. So we have like a really good company that's capable of shooting VR. And we have a lot of contractors. They are very good at game developing. And they also could be used to developing VR content. So I think Taiwan has an interesting and good environment for the uh, VR content creators. And now one last question. Samsara was not screened at my university for the first time in the UK. It was also screened previously. So you can access the audience, the, the public can access your works at festivals such as Venice or at venues such as film festivals. But what about on an everyday level? Where could people in the UK and and around the world view your works? Are they easily available on some popular platforms? We are adapting Sensara and uh, Bodiless to the uh, Quest Store. And hopefully we can finish it this year that it will be published also on the Quest Store and the Sting VR. So hopefully we will be available on the online store. All right, so looking forward to that. So it will be available on the Quest store and on Steam, this platform with games. Yes. Okay, I see. Very much looking forward to that. I think that we're going to end this conversation here. Thank you very much for your participation. There is a lot of food for thought in this and a lot of relevance, I think, to our contemporary world. So thank you very much for this conversation and looking forward to your newer works and to your works on Steam's and on Quest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.